Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. This is class five, session five. We're talking about hearing impairments and we're going to look at some of the causes of our hearing impairments and our deafness. All right, some of our causes are genetic. Um, you quite oftentimes will see um, genetic causes. Um, some of these things tie back to our recessive and dominant traits. If you've got a recessive gene for a hearing impairment, and you end up getting a recessive gene from both of your parents, you know, each one contributes one, um, then you may in fact see hearing impairments in the child. Now, if you think about this, I mean, we send a lot of our more severe cases of hearing impairment, especially those that are deaf, to schools for the deaf. Um, they live a lot of times on these campuses. Um, if they live close, they may get to go home um, at night, but a lot of them live in dorms. So it makes sense that, you know, they would date who they go to school with. And so oftentimes you'll see two folks um, at the School for the Deaf falling in love. They can communicate with each other. They both know how to sign. Um, and so you'll see a lot of times they're getting married and then they have children who may get those recessive genes and may not be able to hear. Although the good news is that if their parents are signing, um, they'll pick sign up a lot earlier and usually around nine months they're starting to sign. Some things are X-linked. Um, we talked about this a little bit before, but this means that um, you would have something coded on the X chromosome. And if you were male, you would have the trait for the types of hearing impairment that are coded on the X chromosome because you just have one and the girls would have to have it on both of the X chromosomes that they receive to evidence traits. I, sometimes... Um, they're born okay, and there's an infection. Sometimes this is actually a maternal infection while while she's pregnant. Sometimes this is an infection after the child is born. Um, so it can be before birth if the mom was maybe exposed to German measles, say, and um, during the birth if there's an infection, um, that could be a problem as well. And more frequently, it's going to be after birth, and it's going to be something like meningitis. Um, there are sometimes some developmental abnormalities. Um, these include some congenital abnormalities where the, the child might be born, um, the ear is either misshapen or maybe there is no ear. Um, sometimes there's like no opening at all and they're, they're really just doing bone conduction type hearing. Um, sometimes it's something with the environment that, that may occur, um, a trauma like a hit on the head, um, to hurt. Here's some other things. Really, really, really loud noise can start to damage those little hair fibers that are in the, the cochlea and cause them, um, to kind of be broken, um, which can, can cause problems with hearing, which is why a lot of our older folks have hearing issues as they've listened to a lot of loud noises over their life. Um, there's certain meds that you might take that may damage um, the inner ear. And then having low birth weight, actually, because the, the in, inner part of that ear hadn't formed all the way yet, um, they can possibly have some, some issues as well with that. Um, here's some other causes that may occur. I'm actually going to start at the bottom where it says unknown. That's a really big, big category down there. And then we're going to go around in a clockwise order. Um, so a large percentage, we just have no idea why the child might have a hearing problem because we can't 
figure it out. Um, you'll note there's other causes after birth, which means they the unknowns are usually borne up. The, the other causes are those that are born okay, and then suddenly they have a hearing problem, and we really don't know. All right, otitis media is your, your ear infections that a lot of children tend to get. Um, this puts fluid as a backup in the middle ear and muffles the hearing of a child. And so their speech will not be pretty either because they're going to say what they hear. Um, and if you have repeated ear infections over and over and over again, you'll have a child who'll have really a lot of difficulty um, with understanding and with producing pretty sound. Alright, you'll note meningitis is a fairly large little block. It's that checkerboard one. And meningitis is, um, this is actually the bacterial form of meningitis, not the viral form. But it is um, an infection of the meninges that run down the back of your neck. And it can go straight to the brain and cause tremendous problems, um, not just deafness. There's a lot of other things that would be affected, like you might go blind. Um, have cerebral palsy, um, have heart issues, have emotional problems. So it's not a good thing um, to get. And we do have some um, immunizations for meningitis, which children need to get as soon as they can to protect them from this. Um, you'll note the little gray category there is something that happened during the pregnancy. Maybe the mom took drugs. Um, usually those are illicit drugs, but certain prescription drugs might cause problems. Um, drank a lot or, you know, did the prescription meds that maybe she shouldn't have done. And that's why you always get prenatal care and check with your doctor. All right, you'll next, you'll see CMV. This stands for cytomegalovirus. And this is a form of the herpes virus. Um, so if the mom has an active case of herpes, genital herpes, and the baby goes through that infected birth canal, that baby may develop CMV. Um, which would mean they would probably hear fine for, you know, three or four years, and then at some point there would be deafness that would occur. Um, the RH incompatibility has to do with the blood type of the parents, and there's only one bad combination. So if the mom has, you know, negative blood, you know, A or O or whatever negative, and the dad has positive blood, um, there's a potential problem there. The first baby, it's not going to be a problem first baby with positive blood but when that baby is birthed then the the placenta breaks away from the mother some of that baby's blood will go up inside her and she will now um, begin to attack those um, that positive factor um, and see it as other something that's foreign to her body um, and if there's a second baby who has positive blood then she will have those um, Things that fight that factor crossover and begin to attack that child and it'll cause some hearing loss and some other issues. Now, as long as you know your blood type, I mean, all you have to do is have your doctor be aware. They have two shots that you take um, after you have your first baby and this won't happen. All right, note trauma can occur uh, prenatally, might be a fall or a hemorrhage that the mom would have. Um, postnatally is any kind of blow to the head or damage to the head. So we're so protective of our children's heads. Um, complications of pregnancy, like maybe diabetes, um, would be one that would fit into that. Preterm, we already mentioned. Um, heredity, we already mentioned. And then maternal rubella would be during the pregnancy. Mom would be exposed. That's the German measles. And there are vaccinations for that as well. But if you know you're planning to have a child, that you could um, take that vaccine and be protected for that. 
Um, some of these things are kind of coming back as people don't get their shots. Um, okay, so causes could be hearing impairment with the middle ear. Um, generally, our hearing impairment in the middle ear is fairly correctable with surgery. We actually do have replacement bones that you can put in for the um, the three little bones in the middle part of the ear. Those are replaceable and they can um, get it to where it's functioning fairly well. Um, if you have otitis media, which is a really common form of hearing loss, um, you know that they can put tubes um, in the child's ear in order to help correct for having these constant ear infections and to make that a little bit better. If you're dealing with the inner ear, it's a little bit different. It's a real severe type of hearing impairment because this member involves the neural tissue in the cochlea. Um, it is almost always um, either heredity. There's a lot of children who have heredity loss here. Um, occasionally it's required over time um, with an illness. Um, meningitis actually does attack that cochlea. Um, we mentioned CMV, the cytomegalovirus, which is that herpes virus, and it would actually be something um, that would begin to, to kind of wear away um, at your um, cochlea as well. All right, let's look at some of the characteristics. And when we look at language and speech, obviously that's gonna be a really seriously affected area. Um, you can't make speech if you don't hear speech. Um, and so obviously you don't do well with language if you don't hear speech. And so it's definitely gonna be an area of concern and we are gonna need um, a lot of speech therapy for this. Um, how bad it is, is gonna depend on, you know, how old you were when this occurred and you know, whether you were you know, doing speech already, like post-linguistic. Also, what degree of loss do you have? I mean, if it's a mild loss and you were post-lingually deaf, you're not gonna have much trouble here. All right, if you have a, a, a more severe loss and you were pre-lingual, then you're gonna have a really hard time with this. Uh, so obviously for some children in the more severe range, we may need to make a decision about sign language, and this needs to be made fairly early on. Um, there, there's no way to take a child orally after about six. So if you don't make these decisions early on, you know, you're definitely going to go with sign. Um, sign language has its own grammar rules. Um, they're very different. It's not considered English. It's a separate language from English. And so when people do sign, they really have to learn to read English, but they speak in signs. They're bilingual. Um, it is a complex language when it comes to the, the grammar. It's actually kind of hard to follow. It is not considered universal. So that sign language in America, um, we have American Sign Language, is not the same sign language that you would see if you were to go to Germany or you were to go to um, um, you know, Japan. Each, each area has its own type of sign language. Um, there are developmental milestones that you are going to have to reach in order to do this. Um, you're going to have to be able to really key in to the understanding that moving your hands means something. Um, and so we really don't expect to have too much of this until about nine months of age. And then they're going to begin to pick this up um, and do fairly well with it. Um, when we look at intellectually where these children are, um, we give IQ tests and performance tests and we see pretty much the same range that we would see in typical children. We've got some of the children who are um, gifted and some who have intellectual deficits, but most are going to be in our average range. 
Um, academically, we're going to start to see some problems, particularly in reading. This is really going to be true of our children who sign because remember, they're bilingual. They're speaking one language. They're reading in another language. And this can be quite tough. And usually they're at least a year behind and oftentimes maybe two or three years behind. Um, sometimes they're going to trail behind even in the math courses. Um, numbers are different. They process differently, but we use language to describe what we're doing in math. And so that would be the main reason they would be behind there and usually not as much behind as they are in reading. Um, they do really, really well if you can go um, with phonic-based instruction and really work on this concept of sounds sounds mean something because remember they're not hearing a lot of these sounds and they don't mean anything to them so you really want to stress that for these children and help them to get it um if we've got children who are born um they're deaf and they're born to, to parents who are deaf remember those parents are already signing um when their child is born they're seeing that from the day they're born um they typically do better when it comes to school related things because their language skills and sign came in quicker um, and they are able to shift over and start on the English. Socially, we have some, some here, here, it just depends. Um, if you've got parents who hear and who don't learn to sign and they can't talk to you uh, when you're a child, then, you know, maybe you're going to be a lot more socially isolated. Um, how much inclusion we can do in the classroom with typical children. You actually may find here that saying least restrictive environment of the general ed classroom may actually hurt these children. They may do better if they're signing to go for a, to the school of the deaf where everybody signs, where they're actually able to communicate with everyone at that school, which they may not be able to do at a typical public school. If they do go to public school and they're in the general education classroom, we definitely need um, preferential seating and we need to be careful um, who we group them with um, and make sure that's very strategically done, that we are choosing very carefully the children who might be put in a group with them to make sure that they are willing to work with these children. Um, they have to look at them when they're talking to them and not, you know, speak if the person's behind them, because remember, they're going to lip read um, on a lot of this. All right, there are different methods um, for those who are deaf to communicate. Obviously, sign language is one of the more popular methods. Um, many children try to go oral, and this oftentimes today involves a cochlear implant to help them be able to process um, some of the sounds through the cochlea. Um, sometimes a hearing aid will, will do this. Cute speech is a, a type of mixture of using a little bit of sign language and a little bit of oral language. And there are several hand signals that we, you would learn, but you speak. So you would put your hand up by your mouth and you would make these um, signals with them. And there would be one for M and maybe one for H. And so if you said mat, uh, you'd put your fingers in the M position. And if you said hat, you'd put your finger in the H position and they would probably would be able to hear the vowels. All right, vowel sounds are easier um, for children to pick up than consonants are. And total communication is a, a philosophy that allows the child to use a little sign, a little oral, a little cute speech, and just whatever works for them. Um, they mix it all together. It's not quite as popular. Um, finger spelling is, you may have learned at some time the alphabet for those that are deaf and 
you would spell out certain words. Usually when you do sign language, it, it doesn't use finger spelling completely. It may use finger spelling for you to spell out your name. Um, then they'll give you a sign um, to kind of speed things along. Um, finger spelling is tedious when you spell every single word. It takes a long time. And so it's not overly popular to use just finger spelling. Um, some folks use an interpreter um, to help them be able to be incorporated into the traditional um, environments so like churches a lot of times will have an interpreter um, for those that are deaf or a political rally might have an interpreter and occasionally you can get that in a school. All right, technology has been very, very helpful. There are hearing aids out there today that are amazing, um, that allow kids to pick up sounds that they would never have been able to pick up before. Um, they have them designed in all kinds of different ways. They can be in the ear canal. They can be the kind that go behind the ear um, so that you know the child maybe um, can be adjusted uh, by the teacher during the day. Um, there's a lot of captioning. You've probably got uh, a television in your home that allows you to, you know, use closed captioning on it. Um, you can do that with videos and movies as well. And these were, the captioning really was designed for those who are deaf to be able to uh, watch, you know, some type of um, media message here um, and be able to keep up, right, um, with the captioning. Um, there are adaptions to telephones that allow you, um, y'all probably gotten where you can text pretty well. Um, the capacity for the cell phone to text was actually developed for the deaf so that they would be able to send messages back and forth to each other by phone. Um, these have special phones where you could literally type your message in and, you know, if you were calling someone um, who had that type of phone and you didn't, you would call a relay system and they would, you know, give your message to the person and have the type message and tell you back what it said. But with the cell phones today, we don't need that quite as much as we did. Computers are very, very helpful for those who are deaf um, because they're able to see the screen. Um, they're able to um, process pretty much everything on that. And actually, there are a lot of folks who do programming. Um, who are deaf. Um, the internet, of course, is just an amazing place to get information and for the people who are deaf, it has been just a lifesaver. Um, they're able to get all kinds of info there that um, they might not have been having access to before. Um, alerting devices are the things that would help the person, um, you know, for it's uh, uh, like a doorbell or an alarm clock or something like that. They're not going to hear those. Um, so this is usually something like a strobe light that will go on and off and that'll help like wake you up if, if you need the alarm or let you know um, that someone is at your door. Cochlear implants are quite popular. This is when you are going to basically put little electrodes in um, the cochlea to um, process the sound. I think we have a picture of that coming up. Um, there's also hearing aid dogs. I know you've heard of seeing eye dogs, but they're hearing aid dogs that'll come and, and alert you, you know, to certain sounds. All right, so here's our picture of the cochlear implant. So if you look over to the far left, you'll see what's called the external coil. Um, this piece attaches on and off. Um, there's a magnet in it, and then, then we, um, in the internal coil that you can see, there's another magnet, and that's going to snap on. You take these off, like, to shower, or if you don't want to hear when you're asleep. All right, you can see that little red wire then runs down and hits 
um, passes, it bypasses the uh, outer and middle ear. It goes straight to the cochlea. I know it kind of curls around in, in there on that basilar membrane where those hair fibers have been destroyed. All right, it is electronically now going to send signals to the cochlear nerve, which is going to go to the brain, and you're going to process sound. All right, people who have heard normally and then lost their hearing and had cochlear implants say um, that the sound is kind of like Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. It's a little squeaky, um, but at least you're able to hear sounds once you've been trained what to listen for. All right, there's a lot of debate on our early intervention about what we do with children, whether we should start them in an oral program with the cochlear implants or whether we go with a manual sign system. And again, this kind of has to be resolved fairly early on. Um, if you're going oral, we start you at about six months um, trying to get you to understand that sound is important. That's obviously really true with our children who are born deaf. Um, again, as we mentioned, those who have parents who are deaf and these children are deaf, they're going to do much better because they're going to be born into a world with parents who understand this and know how to communicate with them probably through sign but that is not common you'll see 90 percent of the children who are deaf have parents who hear um, many of these parents will not learn sign language um, so if we can go oral with those kids we're, we're definitely going to be in a better position for them to be able to interact with their parents um, right now at least i know in this state um, our state school for the deaf is free for families, but if they choose to go to Magnolia Speech School, which is here, which is oral, then they have to pay tuition. So that pushes a lot of kids more towards that sign method. Um, there are a lot of preschool projects out there that, that teach sign language to children, even children who are typically hearing, to help them learn sign. And obviously our goal is to help the parents to pick up sign as well so they can actually talk to their children um, because it's hard when you can't. All right, when we transition, one of the things we want to do is look at post-secondary education. There are um, colleges, there's um, Gallaudet in Washington, D.C. Um, that is um, completely set up for all the classes are taught in sign, everybody working their nose sign. Um, there are other institutions around the country that um, do have areas where they sign or maybe they have um, hearing interpreter programs, and those are real helpful for those who have sign language as well. Not all schools, obviously, are going to be available for these individuals because there are places that they would only be able to go with an interpreter um, because you aren't going to see the, the faculty and staff being able to sign. Um, but if you got about 23% are going to go to some college or post-secondary um, school, um, the interpreters are going to be really, really helpful for these individuals. Um, again, some jobs they may not be able to do um, if, there's, if they're doing signing and nobody there knows how to sign. So an interpreter can be helpful. All right, for where we're headed is for you to read your chapters on communication disorders and, and hearing disorders. Um, work on your writing assignments and get those done and answer the discussion questions for this week as well as to take the quiz. And I wish you a good week.